Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. This is John Yarbrough. I'm the Senior Director of Brand and Communications for LifeSize. Hey, John. Thanks for joining. Good morning, guys. This is Dominic from Mio. You may recall me from a previous episode that I recorded with Ryan and Heather a few weeks or maybe a couple of months ago now, where I challenged myself and Ryan and Heather jumped on board and I've, uh, I somehow managed to get John on board as well, where we were going to do our very best not to reply to any emails for the month of May. So this episode is a wash up of, of what happened. I've got some numbers to share with everybody. I don't know if uh, everybody else here has looked at anyone else's numbers. Mine, mine were pretty low, I think, because my email behavior has been uh, trimmed over time, should we say. So uh, I'll just give everyone a heads up on, on the numbers. So I received 239 emails in May, which uh, I now realize is alarmingly low compared to everyone else in the world, it seems. I only replied to 27 of those. So that's uh, that's 11% of the emails I actually replied to, which I think is a, a good effort for what I thought was my original experiment in my head. I just wouldn't reply. So 11% is quite a, a good one there. I then flick to John's numbers and my 239 emails look pretty measly. John got 5,737 emails in May, of which by day two, John, you'd got more emails than I received in the whole month. So I feel for you there, my friend. Yes, I, uh, I I like to think that I have learned to cope with email effectively, but I can't say that I'm I'm much good at it. I, I think that uh, a decade plus of being a uh, you know somebody that lives in an inbox, it's much easier to say than to actually um, you know act, actually break from your uh, connection to your inbox being part of your day. So Dom, I was looking at your numbers uh, with a lot of envy throughout the entire month of May. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, I, I think everyone is uh, accustomed to coping was the word that you use. I think we do cope with email and that's kind of what I wanted to bring out of this experiment. Are we just coping with it or is it productive? Mm. I, I don't really have an answer for that. Moving on to Heather's numbers. Heather still got four times as many emails as me, but no, nowhere near as many as John. So Heather, you got 883 and you applied to 129. So that's 14%. So that's around about the same as me. Just moving back to your percentage, John, I realize I glossed over that. You only replied to just under 7% of your emails. So even though you got 4 million times more than me, you actually replied to 50% less. So Heather, we're, we're on about the same basis, but we get, we get a lot more than me. And Ryan, you got 3,200 emails in May and you replied to 396, which coincidentally is only two less than John. Uh, you're, you're around about the, the 12% mark as well. So the, the lower of the four emails received applied to a higher percentage, which perhaps says that the emails that we got were more relevant or needed to reply more perhaps. Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, a lot of it was notifications and I was turning those notifications off as I got them. 
which so I mean I, I don't know if you looked at at sort of the 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 growth rate or, or, or decrease over the month as well, but I was trying to reduce my numbers, my average number per day, which I think I slightly did. Um, which is just turning off unnecessary notifications because I, I think I started off with 212 on the first day and it, it reduced down to about 62 per day by the last day. That's good going. A number I thought was interesting. So, you know, in addition to measuring how many emails we got per day, how many we replied to, how many we didn't reply to, we also had this kind of more of a subjective category of emails that were deemed not for us or just unnecessary. And I noticed, Dom, you had the highest um, percentage of emails in that category. Yeah. So I, I think, so I've got 70% that I, I decided was either not for me or I didn't need. Now, as you look at my stats, you you'll see after about the 10th day, they almost disappear. And that's because while I was documenting them, I decided that actually these are maybe newsletters that I have historically subscribed to and just don't read and have been too lazy to press the unsubscribe button. Or they were communications I was copied in on, but again, I probably didn't read. I didn't need to be copied in on them. So I did something about those. I, I told those people, look, I don't need to be on this. I haven't read the last four bulletins you've sent me or, or whatever it might be. And and that seemed to work. You So of my 165 emails that I deemed not for me, over 100 of those are in the first 10 days, I think. I, I was curious looking at, at just the experience that everyone had doing this experiment, how successful everyone was deflecting email to other tools. I, I will say, um, as someone who works for a video conferencing company who generally perceives my organization as one that's very good at, at uh, collaborating and other perhaps, you know, more, more sophisticated, more modern uh, tools like video, as, as opposed to, you know, email, which I think is still broadly perceived as the old way of doing things. Um, the data was, uh, you know, uh, it was illustrative of that's not, in fact, necessarily true. I mean, we, we meet on video. I, uh, you know, if I were to have number of meeting minutes over video in our, uh, you know, wash up, it, you know, it's, it's very significant. And we, we use the medium a lot. But, um, I, I'd say that for me, one of the key insights here was um, some things still feel like they need to be documented via an mm. email. And sometimes it's distribution lists are the reason maybe it's tied to a process um, like a, wor a workflow technology like Jira that uh, our team uses a tremendous amount. But um, I was curious if, if you all felt that it was as easy as just deciding you were going to use something different than email and just night and day being able to, to flip that switch and, and have that be the process moving forward. For me, it was. And I think that was because it was, that was kind of my secondary goal. Well, I guess it was my primary goal of this experiment. It was my, my thoughts were that these conversations that were happening via email were already happening somewhere else, be it in a, a physical meeting, a remote meeting, in Slack, in Teams, whatever it was. My, my feeling was that these emails I was getting were already happening somewhere else. So for me, it was literally night and day email or a messaging app. And like what you said with you work for a big video conferencing company, John, I work for a messaging company and I, I realized that we aren't particularly good at just using those messaging apps in, in the right time. Well, I've, I've recently written a blog on 
kind of best practices for using message threads and things like that so that you don't have a poor messaging experience and you don't revert back to email or you don't have to call someone and interrupt them when really you should be chatting in that thread. So I, I think it was it was easy for me to do so because that was my primary goal, but it was also fairly easy because those conversations were genuinely happening in other mediums already. Yeah, what I found interesting about it was, and, and it was expected, is that the there was almost a generational issue with moving away from email. So I would reply to someone, someone would send me an email, I'd reply to them on Teams uh, and, and probably try, I think I, I think I wrote down my formula as phone them first, if I can't get hold of them, then send them a message um, to try and answer all the emails, requests that way if I could. And what I found funny about it was it, the minute I'd phoned them and we chatted about it and the solution warranted follow-up, the follow-up would be an email as opposed to responding back in teams or calling me back with the the answer. And it took a good two, three weeks just to get, and I, and I didn't tell anybody I was doing this this challenge. So um, it could took a couple of weeks for guys to actually start replying to me on teams because I just ignore the emails uh, and reply on teams. Um, most for the most part, I think WhatsApp was the other fallback that I had for responding to, to items. And it was definitely a generational thing. The younger guys tended to respond on teams and the older guys tended to default back to um to email did you find that within a teams meeting a video conferencing meeting regardless of which solution we're using here did you find that during a meeting if anyone had to send you anything they would email it to you even though they're also using teams at the same time i I recently spoke to steve goodman on on my uc influencers podcast and he mentioned, oh, we, we, we rather laughed at that the incidents where someone is having a, a physical conversation or it's a virtual conversation, an audio conversation on Teams. And someone said, hey, I'll just send you this link, which is great because then you can see it within the video call. But they've emailed that link instead of putting it in the little chat in the, the it, app you're using. Uh, too many times. Um, and look, sometimes I can understand it because if they're forwarding me an email that was sent with from someone else, then that kind of made more sense than sending me a link to a document. Um, but one of the things that I did while we were doing this was set up a project with an external company as a team's channel with all the document management and, and all that set up as well, um, which has been great for me because I obviously can navigate that quite well and I'm comfortable with it. But some of the other guys internally don't have that comfort. So they keep forgetting to go look in that channel for the files or go into SharePoint to, to look at the documents. And they're expecting an email still to keep in contact on what's going on in the project. So there's, there's that switch that needs to happen, which is that un, unlearning the habit that needs to, to happen where you stop looking at your email for the answers. Instead, you know where the things should be. So you go look where that thing should be. Habit is the key word there, I think, isn't it? I, I recorded another podcast this morning with with a user of unified comms which is someone that i i've never had a user on my podcast before i normally have vendors and experts within the space so this was actually a customer and we were talking about the new slack connect which is uh, which is a hot topic at the moment and i asked him will will slack connect kill email for people that just use slack right and they know that their suppliers or customers also use slack so in my mind there's no need for email if you are that specific use case of which I could fit into if I chose to use Slack instead of Teams for some clients. And I know 
Slack clearly think that way, otherwise they wouldn't have brought this out, right? But he said that it's very much it's habit that people people do look on their email first or they expect an email like you just said. And I, I don't think that will change. And I think that goes back to what you mentioned, Ryan, about the generation thing. So for me, there was a critical complication to this experiment, which is that my company uses Microsoft Teams as our primary chat tool, but we have retention periods set up. So one-on-one messages only last, I think it's 30 days. And then inside Teams or channels, it's just a year. So if you want anything, if anything's important enough to persist past that, you might as well email it because then you know it's going to be there. So for me, that was also part of this equation, right? If I wanted to potentially be able to dig something up after a month, I might need to email it. I think that's a choice thing on part of your company and probably every company in the world, isn't it? If if you really wanted to ditch your email and that was one of the problems, you would upgrade those retention policies and spend the money on teams instead of spending the money on email servers and all that storage and things like that. It's it's just which one do you want? And like we said, I think habit is you expect your emails to be there forever, but it's a, it's a choice that we choose to archive or, or no longer store conversations on teams. Yeah. Cause I would have thought that you could store a lot of that stuff in, in your SharePoint environment. I mean, even if you're saving the, the email itself into as a file, um, cause the search will pick it up anyway. So there's different ways, there's definitely ways to solve that sort of, um, decision, uh, using different, different parts of the stack. Yeah. It all gets saved somewhere at the end of the day, regardless of what it is. You just need to choose what you save, where you save it to. And then I guess it becomes a bit more technical when you're setting up your, your search function to, to look in this folder, that archive and all over the place and. It's a new job for the IT manager and and one that he or she probably doesn't want because they already know how to set it up for for just email, right? Yeah, well, and this comes into some of the new stuff with with Power Apps where you can set up flows or what they were useful flows or what they're called now to do certain things. So you can strip out attachments, for example, and store that straight to OneDrive. You know, or you can have other sort of, you know, other flows that, that categorize mail and potentially that also stores them in a certain folder. So you can make it automatic. It doesn't have to be, you know, human intensive. Two other factors that I thought were fairly significant, at least in our usage of uh, teams relative to life size for video, you know, sort of synchronous conversation or real time uh, conversation. And then email is as a global company, there's a clearly a social contract that we've all without ever discussing together. We've all uh, decided to abide by related to when we send uh, communication to one another based on the business hours of the person receiving it. So we are a global company. We have you know, a little more than 400 headcounts split across every time zone in the world virtually. Uh, if we're communicating uh, from where I sit in our headquarters in Austin, Texas, our virtual headquarters, as it, as it were at the moment, um, with our colleagues in, in Europe or in Asia Pacific, we will very easily uh, transition conversation that's happening in teams when both of us are working within business hours to email. Um, and, and my best uh, summary as to why is that we are trying to be respectful of the person not receiving notifications uh, during off hours, whether it's evening hours with their family or, you know, obviously when, when folks are offline uh, getting sleep. 
And I'm curious if that's uh, something that in your experience could be uh, changed in terms of policy or, or better you know, sort of communication at the HR level to get organizations more comfortable using Teams or another you know, uh, real, real-time collaboration tool uh, for sort of your, your offline asynchronous uh, communications channel as well. Because I, I do think that email still today is perceived as the less intrusive tool where you can send an email whenever it, you know, an idea pops into your head and uh, there's no expectation that your colleague is going to see it the second that you press send. They'll see it when they get to it the next business day, perhaps, and they'll get back to you. So it's, it's seen as a, as a way that you can con- continue to communicate without being obtrusive or, or you know, putting your colleague out if that's not perhaps when they're online and working. Interesting that you use Teams for what I would describe as a more instant messaging. You, you mentioned the, the term real-time collaboration there, didn't you, John? I think, does that stem from, I guess, historically, people in life size used instant messages like Skype for Business, perhaps, which you could only use uh, synchronously for synchronous chat. Whereas with Teams, Teams is designed to extend that experience to asynchronous collaboration or asynchronous chat. So my my use case for for Teams and and for Slack and for WebEx and for all those platforms that are out there, and I think I mentioned this last time I was on this this podcast, and I certainly mention mention it every every episode of my podcast, the the collaboration tools that I use, Teams, Slack, or WebEx, depending on uh, depending on what day it is, they they they're so critical for my working day because I use them asynchronously. So all of my messages go across whatever platform it is. And I know that I'm going to come back to some notifications overnight because I'm in the UK. The majority of my team are in Texas. So there's a, there's only two or sometimes three hours where there's overlap where we're working at the same time. So because we use those tools asynchronously, which is where I think you guys aren't necessarily doing that, that, that that's critical to one doing my job well and communicating well but but really it's it's the reason why i can work for a company in the states without adhering to the time zone that the rest of the meo team is in because we we respect that there is that or that lack of overlap so we we, we do work asynchronously and dom for you was that always the case or did it require a conversation with colleagues that this is the way that, that uh, to establish some rules regarding how you were going to use various tools and, and platforms. Very good question. I think that's that's probably where businesses fall down. They don't ask the question, or nobody tells them, and and they they just carry on using Teams as they were using Skype, for example. In in my case, I think I set the precedent. It was I'm I'm only going to work until five o'clock UK time because because I want to, right? I, when I first started working with Mio, I was a freelancer. So I, I set those terms. When I joined Mio full time, it just it just naturally happened. So people knew that if they messaged me at 6 p.m. local time, they weren't going to get a response. So they didn't. Why, why would they? 
Yeah. Ryan, something you mentioned a minute ago uh, really resonated with me regarding the generational divides and tools that people prefer or default to for communication. And, you know, it's something I think about a lot, particularly in our current climate with an entire team uh, working remotely. And, you know, some context, we announced a merger in uh, the first half of March and two days after announcing the merger, our entire organization was sent uh, working remote and we continue to work remote today. And so as, as a team lead, um, you know, we, we have a number of colleagues that are new to the team that we're still, you know, forming relationships with. We have other colleagues that we've worked with some time, but obviously in a very different way than we did uh, historically. And I have found in this experiment was a, a nice forcing function to do so. Um, having conversations with colleagues, even, you know, senior leaders and executives about what the right method of collaboration is for them has been clarifying for me. And, and, you know, my experience with those conversations is some people use the tool that they use just because that's the tool they've always used. And, Mm. you know, Dom, I think it is very much, it's informed by legacy tools. So if you have teams, but you were using Skype for business prior, you're going to use teams in a way that's most familiar based on how you use Skype, perhaps even, you know, missing some opportunities to advance the way that you're you're leveraging the platform and and that was um I, I think a key learning for me is you know really two things one is uh, no collaboration tool is uh, going to be uh, a replacement for good communication between colleagues. You have to start at that level and understand one another um, and, and continually revisit topics around, you know, what, what is what works for you? What business hours are you working when I want to share something with you? How would you like to receive it? And that has to work for both parties. And then, you know, similarly, I think there still is a huge education divide and, you know, a lot of it, I think, has to do with generational divides. But I think it also um, speaks to the rate of innovation in this space. And there are new things. I mean, Dom, you just spoke to a a Slack feature that I haven't had a chance to even look at. I think I saw some news coverage, but uh, don't don't know much about it beyond that. Um, So I I think there is kind of this larger uh, role for IT or whoever the, you know, the application leader is with an organization um, to decide what matters. And when new innovations are released, you know, what the impact is on the organization, what they are going to standardize on, how they are going to adjust processes. Otherwise, it's just another feature. And, you know, features that nobody uses are, are, you know, nice for headlines, but not particularly valuable otherwise. Yeah, and so so the thing about Skype, what I found, well, what they mentioned about Skype at least, what I found with that is that because that's what the guys were used to, or they become used to in the corporate environment, and and before just Skype, it was Link and, and those sort of flavored tools. Um, they find teams very complicated, and and this concept of teams with within teams even more complicated. So that almost completely ends the. The, the ones would need to explore it further because it already looks too complicated. Let's just stick with Skype. In fact, if we weren't forced to move off Skype, I think we would have stayed with, with Skype for a bit longer just because there was a comfort level with just being able to have a conversation there and it's messaging only, not, not a long-winded conversation uh, or at least over multiple days. Whereas with some of the newer, or let's say younger members, it's to be fair, it was comfortable to have a conversation and we, we had a team in South Africa where you know, they were two hours ahead of us at the time. So I'd come in or get online and have messages from sort of 5 a.m. our time um, because they'd started at 7 a.m. their time and they would have my flurry of things to handle 
via Teams first, and then I wouldn't even check the email because I already helped handle most of the stuff on Teams. Whereas, you, you know, if you're in the middle of the sort of generational gap, you're dealing with some stuff by email, some stuff by instant messenger or persistent messenger, um, you end up with the, with the overload of trying to get everyone to communicate, which ends up just having more and more calls because you're trying to bridge the divide in some senses. There's also the case, isn't there, where you use these tools for different purposes, either through habit or legacy. For example, when I worked at Stable, Stable Logic, who are a consultancy, we used to use Teams for channel-based working and collaboration because it was new and we we were we needed to we needed to know about it right we were going into businesses and talking about how they would transform their business with this new fancy communication technology so we needed to know how to use it and we started to work that way and it was great but we were still using skype for business for our meetings and i'm sure that's the same in a lot of businesses where maybe use webex for meetings because webex was a meetings platform historically and now you've got these businesses using teams because they were using skype for their instant messaging and they're using webex teams as well because webex meetings has evolved into that so i'm sure there's a lot of switching between the meeting tool and the instant messaging tool and which one do you use for just one-to-one calling it's it's all a bit of a chaos which is obviously the problem we're trying to solve at mio but if you go further than that it's 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 multiple apps that do the same thing but people use them for a specific thing because of either habit or legacy and i don't i don't see that i know it can change i've, I've done it and and we preach it at Mio, but i don't see the majority of people changing because they they know and love webex for meetings and they know and love or loved skype for instant messaging so they're they're using teams because that's the next version well well sometimes i think that this is also driven by what the what the culture has become and what the company allows the culture to become. So, you know, having that, that multi-platform environment means that people are used to having different tools for different jobs. And that's maybe where teams is trying to become multifaceted and, and I haven't used Zoom enough to say it's, it's similar. Um, but, I, but I haven't spoken to anyone who said to me, oh, I'll, I'll send you a message on Zoom. It's always, I'll call you on Zoom, I'll set up a Zoom call. Uh, whereas teams kind of bridges that gap a little bit. Um, what I was, what I found that didn't work in this trying to get rid of email as a, as a communication mechanism is when you when you're on a project with external people um, in different time zones, you're doing things like project updates or trying to send out reminders and stuff like that. Not all of them were on teams in within the organisations, and therefore weren't comfortable connecting into or being invited to a teams chat because they'd need to get IT involved. And I think that's also part, probably part of the problem is, this, is is the level of user enablement or education as well to, to using just any uh, collaboration tool. What were they using, Ryan? Um, some of them were still on Skype for Business. Um, one or two were, I think, on Jabba. Yeah, I think, I think those are the two main bodies. Uh, I can't remember what the other one was, but it was also something in that in that space. So you've got platforms there that you, you can integrate or, or make interoperable, but I guess the people you're talking to aren't the people that have those admin rights. And maybe if you need to buy something, they don't have the spending power either. Yeah. And it's, and it's just adds complexity. 
um, you know, these are, are mostly seafarers or, you know, business, business SMEs who don't have any technical knowledge or, or, or you can hear the hesitation when they're like, oh, now I have to go and ask the IT guys to get involved here. Um, and you're almost making their lives more difficult by trying to make their life simpler. It's the upfront effort, isn't it? It's, yeah. you, you know, deep down that your life is, oh, I don't know. This is the way that I think about things anyway. If someone sells me a tool or I read about a tool and I go, well, I clearly need that because it's going to save me 14 minutes per hour, which actually in the long term equates to a lot of working days per year, right? So I know that I need this and I know that I should put in that upfront effort. However, do I have that spare 15 minutes right now to install it and configure it? And what happens if it doesn't become 15 minutes because actually I'm not very technical. So it might take an hour and then I have to pull in someone else. And even though I still know I'm going to get all those working days back per year, I don't have that time right now. And I think that's Mm. probably the biggest problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You mentioned that we were going to talk about some scenarios that that worked and and Mm. didn't work when trying to move people away from email is there is there anything that comes to your mind john that that worked for you or perhaps just was a complete failure well i'll start with the failure because i think that was that's the easier (laughs) one for me to answer Um, so as i mentioned a few minutes ago we use jira and uh, perhaps ways that are less common Um, so jira is a a, our sort of workflow tool uh, of preference for uh, marketing deliverables, not just, I think, traditionally used more by product and engineering organizations for tracking, you know, bug fixes and, uh, you know, product releases. But um, we, we've built a, a fairly extensive uh, sort of help desk process. So uh, my team can fulfill requests from every department across the company that when they have need for, uh, you know, marketing support, whether it's, you know, data sheets or uh, changes to our web website or really you name it. Um, and uh, yours truly is the uh, point of contact for all of those requests. So when we started this uh, project, my first inclination was, hey, I'm going to need to solve for all of the JIRA notifications that I received to my inbox. And it's just an automated thing that makes ensures that I see them. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the first day of May, I, I turned off those notifications and you know, told myself every day I was going to check them natively in the platform. And um, I think by day three, I was starting to receive questions from colleagues on if I had if something had happened to me because I wasn't being responsive. They, I was not getting to things as quickly as I would have otherwise. Um, and, it, and it truly became a problem. And a lot of my email volume, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. A good thing is, is my the numbers of emails that I've received are artificially inflated by that type of automated process. Um, and, and I have, you know, sort of worked out, uh, you know, ways to manage it. And, you know, I, I spend a half an hour every morning and every evening dealing with the inbound requests. And that, you know, is perhaps not the most efficient process, but it works for me. Um, and, uh, you know, really the key insight there is if you are going to change the way that you work, you must have a new solution in place before you do so uh, to make a change away from email for the simply for the sake of reducing your email volume without an you know equally uh, satisfying solution in place just is going to create pain for yourself so that was my biggest failure from this experiment was not uh, identifying a new solution to replace email for all of the workflows and notifications that i receive 
Um, on, uh, you know, the, the positive end of things, I, I would say it was much easier than I would have anticipated, uh, to simply not engage with emails that, you know, weren't pertinent to my job or that some, you know, as a communications professional, often that, um, we are asked to consult on things that, you know, it's, um, you know, not, not necessarily a business requirement. It's more of an opportunity to engage. And I found that instead of jumping into email threads in the moment, we've all been on these emails where, you know, a simple question turns into a 20, 20 email long thread. Um, I found that I could reserve my feedback till uh, a one-on-one -on -one over, over live size or the next team stand up or an all hands meeting. And it was just as effective. I didn't miss the opportunity to engage or share my point of view. Uh, I simply took it into a, a, a different format where it was more conducive to sort of exchange of ideas. And, and I find that I, I will say that I have found that email is the least effective tool for having a conversation that is more than a, qu a quick question and response. I had a manager once tell me that by the time you're hitting reply a second time, you're better off having a conversation with that person in person or in current climate over video. And I, I tend to uh, ascribe to that. I think that's uh, generally a good rule is if you can't convey your point sufficiently in the first email or you haven't yet, you know, uh, sort of gotten that alignment between you and colleagues, uh, after, you know, first couple emails, you're probably better off having a meeting or a quick discussion to, to work through your differences. Um, I know there's a sort of meetings uh, have received this stigma where you know, everyone perceives them, you know, oh, it's another meeting or I spent too much time in meetings. Um, you know, life size, we're, we're big believers in a good meeting. I think that, you know, the, the meeting itself is highly useful. Now we, nobody wants to be in a non-productive meeting there where an agenda isn't sent in advance and there's no clear action items stemming from it. But um, often you will do better off speaking with folks live for 15 minutes than you are going back and forth in email over a period of a couple of days until someone finally agrees that they are going to be accountable for whatever the next step is. So John, one thing I like about chat tools and even email is just having that documented thread, you know, of, of what we talked about and just any next steps and, um, just being able to reference it back at any time. Right. So I was just wondering, how do you replace that sort of documentation component of being able to pull up emails and reference anything that was said? It's, it's such a great question, Heather. And it's probably the one that I get the most. You might, I have, countless friends that are fascinated by my job and working at a video conferencing company. And the motivation for most of them and wanting to understand it is that uh, they have a real resistance to video. You know, I think we take for granted, you know, even talking about teams and Slack and, you know, even for those of us that live on Twitter and social media all day, um, we're still the minority, you know, there, there's, we're still at the, you know, sort of the, the, the tip of that spear would be for mainstream adoption where everybody's using them. And, you know, it's not uh, something that's pervasive across every industry yet. Um, but for video, one of the things that has been truly freeing for me, cause I'm a big believer in documentation. I, I think that the person that prepares a meeting agenda and the person that uh, communicates next steps after a meeting are gen is generally the person that is best position to drive um, projects. I, I think that, you know, the five minutes before and after are so critical uh, to making sure that was a good use of time. But for me, with, you know, our technology, one of the things that's 
been most effective is recording my video meetings. And I record a large percentage of them, even if the you know conversation is meant to be more informal. And there, there are two primary benefits. One is just the pure documentation and the ability to refer back to um, exactly what was said, exactly what was agreed to. And, and I found that while I, you know, I, I type relatively quickly and I, I, I like to think that I'm an active listener, um, there's nothing better than an actual recording uh, if what you care about is accuracy. Um, and then the second piece of it is not feeling as though I'm having to split my focus between this person who is speaking and my notes application has been very freeing. And um, that, I will say, took a lot of repetition and and sort of switching, forcing myself to switch um, my, my normal behaviors to uh, trust the tool was going to capture the conversation and then refer back to it versus typing it as somebody spoke and uh, then having sort of my, my personal notes as uh, my reference material following a call. Um, you know, but I think uh, for most people, that's probably going to depend on how you learn. If you're more of a visual learner, um, you, you may be totally fine in the moment listening and recording um, for those that need to capture it in notes for it to, you know, sort of imprint in their in their memory. Uh, they may find some combination of the two is more effective. But um, that that has been freeing for me working within video conferencing context is that you know, I, I really rely on the technology to take some of that manual work out of documentation as well as sharing. You know, the other nice thing about recordings is um, if, if something meaningful occurs, you know, Sarah, uh, within the d discussion that others would benefit from, you now have an asset that can be shared out. And, you know, I'd say that, you know, I don't have the statistics in front of me and say research is showing more and more that, you know, most people would prefer to watch back a video uh, versus reading through a long document as, as hard as that is for those of us that are in the uh, content marketing space. I, I think that, you know, the, the written word, particularly when it's lengthy, has become um, something that a lot of people, um, you know, do, do, they'll, they'll bookmark, but they perhaps never actually digest in its entirety. So that's another nice benefit is having something that um, hopefully statistically is more likely to be consumed if you feel like it warrants sharing. Maybe I'm a, I'm a little bit biased because my job effectively is writing long articles, right? <laughs> so if, if people aren't doing that anymore, then then maybe I should switch to becoming a full-time podcaster or video producer. But I, for me personally, I, I'm the opposite, John, and, and I know everyone is different, but I, I would much rather read a bulleted recap of the genuine highlights than watch back a video of a meeting I was in or a webinar that I couldn't get to or whatever it is. And uh, there was an example within me actually where someone pulled apart a couple of our social media posts we were looking on and optimizing them to to get more clicks and things like that and they sent me a uh, a 10 minute loom video walking through their process of what they've done and it was it was it was great however the the most important three things were literally within the last 20 seconds of this 10 minute video and come the end of it once the novelty had worn off i thought well why didn't, why didn't we open with that why didn't you rearrange the video which obviously isn't the point of Loom. Loom is to record a real-time video and send it to someone as, as a helper. But for me, the only benefit of that video was the last 20 seconds of which I could have 
either skim read an article or an an email or a long teams message or whatever it might have been but instead i went nine and a half minutes through this video and then went oh so that's what we need to do yeah i I think i mean you're hitting on a, a really key point there which is it's probably never going to be one at the expense of other it's it's likely going to be all of the above. And, you know, you know, Dom in particular in your role, I think that, you know, it's a perfect uh, analogy, you know, the content uh, consumption, you know, whether you believe that long form or, or podcast or um, short videos or, you know, sort of the prime, you know, primary question, your, your strategy, um, you know, I, I think most of us are always thinking about how do I better satisfy this audience or how do I attract a, a more diverse and broader audience? And I, I think often the answer is maybe there are other ways for us to communicate. And if it's, uh, you know, starting with the written recap, maybe technology can help put together that short recap video with uh, sort of automation pulling out key insights. You know, I think that in the future state, what's clear, whether it's, you know, life size or WebEx or Zoom or any number of other tools, um, AI and machine learning will play a major role in how we consume information. I think it's you know going to start often with you know, uh, back and forth conversation and a collaboration tool, or perhaps it's a video meeting and then technology will help surface the meeting notes, uh, on our behalf. You know, there, I think that we're already starting to see real time transcription of meetings and an automated post, you know, between a video conferencing service provider into, um, teams or into Slack, you know, the, you know, we're starting to see real time translation where you can speak to somebody that doesn't speak your native language. Uh, and there are subtitles to help provide context in those discussions. And a lot of these are still nascent technologies and, and perhaps don't work as well um, in practice as, you know, perhaps, you know, the marketing materials suggest. But, um, you know, I think, Heather, you know, for, for someone like you that, that values the documentation, I think the ultimate would be for you as the user to get to, to determine how you receive that, right? If you're a visual learner, again, maybe there would be a video option. If you're somebody that wants the bulleted list, there would be a, a synopsis available for you to uh uh, as well. The key point is that it can't be up to the meeting host or facilitator to have to produce all that content. You know, there must be something behind the scenes that helps automate. Otherwise, I think all of us will only have time in our, our work days to go from meeting to meeting and writing agenda and recaps. And, and I don't know that any of us get paid just to do that. Um, so my, my hope is that we all get the benefits of the documentation without the taxation of having to, you know, write copious amounts of, uh, you know, sort of uh, documents to help keep our colleagues informed. Yeah, Siva, I love those documents. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, me, you never know. Yeah, I think for me, too, it's, um, you know, I feel like I'm a much more effective written communicator than just you know, through a meeting. Um, I feel like I, I get to my point a lot faster. I think to Dom's point about the um, sort of three key things coming in in the last 20 seconds of the video. It's like, oh, yeah, and here's the things that you really need to know. I feel like there can be a lot more bloat sometimes with um, just speaking versus writing. But um, Ryan, as well, I wanted to get to you on what you feel like worked and didn't work for you in this experiment, because I know you mentioned that kind of throughout your journey, you were you were trying to do more things to decrease your responses over time. Yeah. So the the things that I, I struggled with was getting 
as I said, the generational differences to work. Um, so people that, that were used to something like Skype to use Teams, they were quite frustrated with, with Teams. Uh, and, and, and now that we've been forced to use it, they've adopted it, but still with, with some hesitation. Um, I think the other part that, that's a challenge for these guys is that Teams is, is so many other things as well. You know, it's a typical thing that Microsoft does. They bundle a lot of things together with not always thinking about how it's going to be experienced by the person using it. Uh, and, and, you know, if you look at something like Office that's gone through a different interface almost every time they release it, um, it's the same sort of problem. Um, as I mentioned, the communications with external parties, it's, it's, I've got two scenarios, one where I've actually got them using Teams as well and they are quite happy and they're working and it's all fine. And then I've got the, the caveat where they they couldn't use Teams for the for the for what I mentioned. So, you've you've always got to find um, the lowest common denominator that gets people to work effectively. That said, I, I do find that, that sitting down to write that 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 feeling of sitting down to write an email to be thorough. Um, I'm I'm just as good at doing that in Teams now. And in fact, I've found that with some of the functionality that's been released recently, a little bit more conducive to being effective where you can flag things that are on your list now all the time. Um, whereas I'm doing the same thing in email where I've got search folders and flags and, you know, category, uh, categorization running to try and find things all the time. So I'm trying to move away from having two systems that do that to having one system that does that. And I'm hoping that, that as teams matures, because that's what we're using at the moment, that'll become more and more uh, focused that way. Um, and I can reduce the, the number of systems that I have to use. I think it's crazy that we're still referring to platforms like Teams as immature or we're waiting for something else to mature. And I think that's maybe the reason why there's still so much reliance on email because things change rapidly in the SaaS world. That's natural. People make feature requests and companies have to they have to deploy them, right? Otherwise, they're going to go and use another tool. And as that competition occurs, more features get added. The the platform that let's call an email alternative is is changing so much that you know email isn't going to change, and it is kind of the the old reliable. I'll use an analogy like when I, I'm not particularly good at golf, but I do like playing golf. And when my game's gone completely downhill, I know that if I go and reach my seven iron, I'm going to be able to hit the ball straight. Whereas every other club in my bag could have could have gone uh, left or right or, or left and right in some cases. But I know that if I go to the old reliable seven, I'm going to be able to hit the ball straight. And I think that's that's why people refer back to email. They know exactly how email works and they're not going to have to read a tu- read a tutorial guide or watch a tutorial video to use that new feature in in teams or slack or whatever it might be it's, it's funny you use the golf analogy because i was having that discussion with someone this morning and he's he played this weekend and he's changing his whole strategy so instead of carrying the i think it's 14 clubs you can carry he's dropping it down to four because by having too many choices he's his game is more complicated but by reducing it he's had to focus on the clubs he's good with and, and when I say he has to focus, he's he's found that by having less choices, his game gets better because he knows that, for example, you know, he's good with a seven, he's good with a, um, a hybrid, uh, and he's got his, his putter and he's got his pitching wedge. Um, and he just has to control 
those four clubs. And I think that's one of the challenges here is you've, if you've got too many platforms in an organization or too many choices, you're going to end up going back to the ones you trust. And for a lot of people, the trust is email. That's exactly that. That's, it's a perfect analogy almost, isn't it? Yeah. Heather, was there anything for you which particularly worked or, or didn't work? Yeah, I think for me, I feel like my habits strangely didn't change that much from normal, which is maybe why I still had the highest response rate of any of us, even though it was, you know, not that far off at 14 percent. I think for me, the the thing that helped me cut back was just making it clear to my media team that I do most of my communication with that I was as going through this experiment and I was going to be sending more messages in teams. And if I send them outside of hours, um, kind of going back to something we were discussing earlier that, you know, if you're not online, I'm not expecting a response. I'm just putting this here um, versus, you know, sending in an email or another form of communication where people might expect um, to be able to have a delayed response. Right. So, you know, I think for me, it was really more it wasn't as much about the tools, but just about communicating with people that, you know, this is this is the way that um, I'm trying to do things right now. And like, let's let's try this um, kind of different way. But um, I guess I'm, I'm thankful that my team already, you know, is pretty used to just um, using teams for for everything. So it wasn't too much of a struggle some of the challenges I did have were just some of those persistent email threads that I, I never transitioned to using teams or another tool because I was like, okay, well, you know, this is probably the last email in this thread. Right. But then it would keep going. So I think there is at least one email I had that just continued going for the entire month of May. And I was like, well, maybe at some point I should have tried to transition that one. But something I'd love to get into too, is, you know, we did this experiment back in May, you know, we're now almost, all the way through June, if, if you can believe it, you know, are there habits that, you know, even after we're no longer inputting those email numbers, are there things that you all feel like you're still doing um, to decrease your email, like things that have kind of become more sustainable habits? That's something that I was asked immediately when I mentioned to someone that asked me how it was going or, or, or I said it had finished. I dropped into a, into a Twitter chat that I'd just done this experiment and it was great. I didn't reply to any emails and my life is, is wonderful now. They said, have you noticed any differences since you've stopped doing that? My response was, why would I stop doing that? It's great. I've, I've only replied to 10% of my emails of which I don't have many anyway, because my email behavior is pretty good. Why, why would I, purposely change what I was doing. So if, if I get any emails that aren't for me, I ignore them, I delete them. If I get any emails where I don't need to respond, I will actively say, can you take me out of this? It's got nothing to do with me. You've, you've, you've put me on here because you, you thought I might need to see it. And I've made that decision that I don't, that's a conscious decision. And I think I've unsubscribed to everything else. So my, I, my May experiment will become and for the most part, probably was already my normal way of working with email, I think. Yeah, so so I, I'm on the same sort of page as you, Dom. I mean, there are some emails that I just unfortunately cannot avoid because that's that's the preferred communication mechanism from the person sending them. But I, I still have my sort of first first response is to is to call them. Um, or to just send them, send them a message on Teams if it's if it's that might work better. In fact, I've gone to the point sometimes where I've copied and pasted the email and replied to the email in Teams. 
as a way of sort of proving the point. But it, it's definitely a better way to go. And, and I do have these mornings where I sit and go through any emails I've got and go and unsubscribe and subscribe and subscribe to try and reduce that, those volumes. And if I can find that information somewhere else, then then that's where I'd go. So in the case of what John was saying earlier about using, you know, getting Jira notifications, um, I did set that up as, as a channel. We didn't, we didn't use Jira at the time, we used Trello. But the same concept where every time there was a, a change in status, the, the channel updated uh, and I could just check there and see what was going on. Um, ironically, I couldn't get that to work with some of the Microsoft tools, but I think that's just um, that's just time. Uh, and that's why I say it's still an evolving platform or you know, a maturing platform because I still feel like it's, even though it's, it's probably replaced Skype in the Microsoft ecosystem, I still feel like Skype had some, some better uh, approaches to things um, and there's some stuff that's, that still doesn't exist like um, you know secure re recording and that sort of stuff which I know some of the bank of friends I've got are, are sort of complaining about but yeah I think it's definitely a way to go to try and reduce the it's the same as you reduce your, your mail arriving at your, at your house I think it's the same with email you've got to reduce it to the essentials for me, it's, I think as simple as trying to be more conscious around my preferences and not being uh, you know, afraid to express to a colleague that I think we would be better off discussing something elsewhere. And, you know, Heather and, and Dom and uh, I think even you, Ryan, although your, your volume was a little higher and, and closer to mine that, uh, you know, I think that it's continuing to fight at both uh, reducing emails that are inbound so that there's less tax on time, sorting mm -hmm. through the pile of unreads to understand what's important because there is a real meaningful uh, you know time expenditure just triaging your inbox. Um, but also, you know, Heather and Dom, you know, what you articulated earlier is, you know, making sure that the emails that you do engage on are meaningful. They were you know, emails that were directed to you and that you have value to offer in that exchange. And I, I don't think for me, it'll ever be a, uh, you're completely eliminating email, but I think it's uh, making it a more useful tool versus um, a place uh, where you know folks just can send you anything without really any expectation that you're going to engage. I think that's a really good learning point and something to sum up all of our experiences. I think I'm I'm in complete agreement. I mm. don't see email as going away because of maybe external components, either other people's behavior or automated things and bills and notifications and things like that that, that won't disappear. But for me, the, the main experiment was a, a complete success. I've gone down from what was not really a lot of emails to even less. So good uh, good use of time for me, I think. Great. Well, I know we need to wrap things up and I feel like we've kind of ended on a good point here. Um, so Dom, if anyone wants to kind of get in touch with you or see what you're up to, what's a good way to do that? Send me an email. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Dom Kent and you can follow me on LinkedIn as well. If you search Dominic Kent, I should be pretty near the top. Awesome. Um, and you, John? Twitter is great for me as well. That's where you will actually have your message read quickly. J.E.R. Bro. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, John and Dom, for this uh, conversation and for coming on the podcast. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Right, Do it again. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. 
follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website www.digitalworkspace.works and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.